from the Sylvan Studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another lush green episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. Does your lawn have bare spots you'd like to repair? I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll reveal that right now is the right time to work on lawns made of fescue, the most popular of the cool season grasses. Plus, a self-guided walking tour of wonderful public green spaces, complete with its own soundtrack. And of course, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and happily hideous hyper-extensions. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having the nicest organic lawn on the block right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we got another jam-packed show for you today, cats and kittens. In the question of the week, we'll be talking about taking care of your lawn. And don't get mad at me, because if you don't put chemicals on your lawn, it's a great way to help avoid these floods and other horrors that are happening with climate change. Grass is a plant, okay? We're also going to discuss a great new walking tour of urban garden areas that comes with its own soundtrack. That's a lot to get done. So we better hop right to your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444, 888-492-9444. Charles, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank, thank you, Mike. And if I can call you Mike, you can call me Chuck. Chuck? Can I call you late for dinner? Yeah. No, please. Please <laughs> don't do that. Where, where are you located, Charles? I'm in, I'm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh. The north side of Bethlehem. Okay, very good. Um, what can uh, what can we do for our local friend in uh, the Christmas well, city? I have I have a problem. I have a, I guess it's called an ornamental cherry tree. It's a cherry tree that has beautiful cherry blossoms, mm-hmm. but it doesn't bear fruit. Mm-hmm. And and the tree is probably from 1956 because I'm. I'm in the house 26 years, and the tree was big when I moved in. So I, I think it was put in when the house was built in 1956. Three years ago, uh, and in fact, it was on the night that they changed the clocks back from daylight savings time to regular time at 4 o'clock in the morning. A driver, he was either asleep or inebriated. He jumped the curb, smashed into the tree, uh, left his front end of his car there, the bumper and the radiator and stuff, drove off, pushed my car into the street, damaged my car, and then went about a block before he conked out and then ran away. But anyways, he put a nice a nice scar on the tree, and I'm thinking that's what's going on with the tree. The, the bottom half of the tree, uh, the, the branches, they had beautiful blossoms this spring, and beautiful leaves, but then the leaves are dying and falling off. Now, there are new ones that come back on it, 
but a lot of the bottom of the tree looks like it's dying. And I was wondering if, if it's going to, if I'm going to lose the tree or is there something I can do to save it? So this was not happening um, before the hit and run. No, it started last year. And it, so it's three years ago that he hit in November. And last year we noticed that it wasn't bad as, as bad as it was this year. And this year it got it got concerning. That's why I wrote you a letter and stuff, and I talked to other people. And some people seem to think it was a fungus, but it's just at the bottom of the tree. The top of the tree looks fine. Charlie, if it was up to me, I would ban the word fungus from the English language. Yeah, because <laughs> I have no idea what to do with that. I can't spray this. It's a big tree. Well, it's a it, beautiful tree. I don't think this calls for spraying. Now, did you do anything to the wound? No. Good. Because you always say that, just let it go. And it, it was a, it's probably about three foot high by, oh, two foot wide, and he took the bark out. I mean, he got down the tree. Uh, yeah, but in he fact, didn't he take. He bent the tree a little bit. He didn't take the bark out in a complete circle. No, 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 not around the tree. It's just, uh, what, a quarter of the tree, a third yeah. of the tree, something like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, now, the age of the tree, I don't believe, is a factor. Um, there's just a wonderful article um, this spring about the flowering cherries in uh, uh, around the Potomac in Washington, uh -huh. D.C., yeah. and that several of them are the originals, and they had just celebrated their 100th birthday. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so they're, that would be wonderful if it lasted that long. They're long-lived. Okay, so uh, what's under the tree? Is it growing out of a lawn? Is it mulch? Yes, I have lawn in the front, which is mostly dirt because the tree was so – It's there's more lawn now than there was two years ago because the tree is not as dense. But when it was in at its prime, I just had dirt. Okay. Because, and I do have, I do have like, uh, two – stones around it but they've been there for 20 years we used to plant flowers around it but the roots have gotten so compacted i don't put any more dirt there and i, I just don't plant anything around it anymore yeah there are very few plants that enjoy sharing their uh root space um right yeah now i'm gonna back you into a corner charlie is the lawn okay. is the lawn treated nope you told me not to do that i don't do that anymore okay excellent so because I use the grass, I use the grass clippings for my uh, mulch for my compost bin that I built. Oh, okay. Well, if you don't treat your lawn, you can do that. Yep. But the smart money says to leave the clippings on the lawn because they're the perfect I do that now. lawn food. Yes, I okay. Do that now. So I mulch the leaves. I bought I bought a chipper and I chip up the leaves and put them in my uh, mulch bin, my compost bin. The later in the season the leaves start to turn brown, the less uh -huh. of a problem this is. By the time we get to August, photosynthesis is a fraction of what it was when we had the really long hours of daylight. So okay. by the time, for instance, this time of year, if a tree loses all its leaves, it's no problem. I mean, it has built up all its energy over the summer. So all that I want you to do is get rid of, um, get, either get rid of the grass. Are there roots above ground? Yes. But 
fact, I had to get dirt uh, probably four years ago. I got dirt poured on top of the lawn where it was just dirt because I couldn't I couldn't mow what grass there was because the roots stuck up so high. Yeah, and that's no problem. You're allowed to do that. Um, okay. Now I, the roots are coming obvi- back again. Obviously, don't prune it. Okay. And uh, but find some good quality compost. We have some excellent independent garden centers here in the Lehigh Valley. And there are the bags composts uh, that are well made are really well made. And I want you to mulch that root area uh, with two inches of compost going out as far as the trees, leaves and branches go. And if we go through a drought, we went through several droughts. My garden is not far from yours. We went through several droughts this summer, and if you realize we've gone a week without an inch of rain or close to it, just let a hose drip at the bottom of the tree once a week for four hours, but just dripping, and that will saturate the root zone. Um, You know, weather has changed dramatically over the past three, four years. So climate change could be involved here. So make sure the tree doesn't go dry for long periods of time. Don't water for short periods of time. Infrequent deep watering really helps the tree um, resist climate stress. Okay? Okay. Now, now with the scars... I was correct to not do anything with it, right? It, Absolutely. It's kinda, yeah, it's browned over. It looks it looks like a like a scab over it or something. Well, you know what I mean. It 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 looks like it's healed. Yeah, very few of us look better as we age. Yes. <laughs> I I just don't want to lose the tree. You You're not going to. I live right near a school, and the kids in the springtime when that when that tree blossoms. It's like a snowstorm. Oh, yeah. Little kids walk underneath it, and they have the best time throwing the the blossoms around and stuff. It's just a pretty tree, and I don't want to lose it. You're not going to lose it. You just need to pay a little bit more attention. Okay? I got to go. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. My pleasure. You take care now. It's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone that it's time to replace seed feeders with suet feeders. You'll see just as many birds without the risk of disease caused by overcrowded feeders or attracting rats, mice, voles, shrews, raccoons, and deer with spilled bird seed. But don't go seeking out that suet just yet because we'll be right back with an interview about a walking tour of outstanding green spaces with its own soundtrack. 
plus your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to teach you the easy way to have a happy, healthy, chemical-free lawn. And the nice part is it's stuff you should be doing right now. But before that, we're going to welcome our special guest, Andrew Bunting, who is the Vice President of Horticulture for PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, who are best known for putting on the flower show, the Philadelphia Flower Show, or as, as their website uh, shyly calls it, the flower show every spring. Andrew, welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being had, sir. Um, now, what we're going to be talking about today is pretty Philly-centric. And because we are, we've gone beyond national to being international, um, I like this idea so much, I would like to see it duplicated in other cities uh, that have good horticultural resources. Now, as you and I know, and we can't repeat often enough, the proceeds from the Philadelphia Flower Show support an incredible number of projects in the greater Philadelphia area. You have tree tenders who are uh, trying to restore um, the urban landscape with more shade trees. You're very active in the community garden programs. Uh, and perhaps lesser known are the greening projects you do throughout the city um, to brighten up public spaces. And this year you have decided uh, to really highlight four of those public spaces uh, with which to my mind is a very imaginative, self-guided walking tour, but a walking tour with a soundtrack, which I, I really enjoy. Um, do you remember whose idea this was? Uh, it's definitely our marketing and PR team came up with the, the idea. And uh, it, you know, I'm impressed by the, how close the, there's four different stops where right. you'll go and you will be able to enjoy the plantings that are around there. 
But at the same time, um, if you go to Spotify, there's a playlist specifically designed uh, for you to listen to when you're at each of these specific venues. That's right. So, uh, you know, there's four, there's four venue, venues, public gardens that we maintain in the city. And these are just four out of the 20 different public spaces, public landscapes and public gardens uh, that we maintain in the city. So it, it starts with uh, Love Park, which is one of Philadelphia's most iconic parks, and then goes to another very iconic park, uh, Logan Circle, and then continues on to the Rodin Museum, where we do the gardens there. We also do the gardens at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and then ends up at the Eastern State Penitentiary, where we maintain the gardens, design and maintain the gardens all, all across the front uh, facade of the penitentiary. Now, I'm sure that last one has listeners scratching their head. Uh, but that's the last stop. So let's go back to Love Park. I think people all sure. over the world are familiar with the Love Sculpture. And Love Park is right in the middle of Center City, uh, you know, a block from City Hall, I believe. Right. And that's right. tell us about the, the plantings that you've done there. Sure. So Lo Love Park is the newest of the gardens that we've taken on uh, in the city. It's essentially, you know, as you described, right next to City Hall. And if you continue up the Benjamin Franklin Parkway, the next public spot that you reach is uh, Logan Circle. Um, so we, we were asked by Philadelphia Parks and Recreation, and a lot of these spaces are partnerships often with Parks and Recreation, oftentimes the Philadelphia Museum of Art or, or other nonprofit entities. So they asked us about a year and a half ago to work on some new plantings that would actually complement uh, the summer plantings that we do at Logan Circle. So Logan Circle, probably over the last five years or so, we've really tried to create this real lush, summer, tropical, vibrant effect. So we've kind of taken cues from that landscape and done the same at Love Park. So Love Park this year has uh, uh, cannas, uh, one that we've featured is Canna Tropicana, which is a uh, uh, you know, for your listeners, cannas are, um, we use them for uh, summer seasonal effect. They get planted in the middle of May. They have strap-like foliage. Depending on the cultivar species, they can get anywhere from, like canna tropicana can get maybe five to six feet tall, but there's other selections that can get 12 feet tall. Canna tropicana is nice in that it has a striation of uh, pinks, and greens and a little bit of orange in, in the leaves and then the flower themselves are orange uh, also in that garden we have a lot of you know fairly common uh, annual but you know we're also looking for plants that homeowners can find themselves so we've added um, uh, one of the penicetums this is a, an annual one penicetum cetaceum rubrum which has you know, real fine purple foliage and kind of pinky purple 
flower heads or seed heads that are ornamental, you know, all the way through uh, to frost. So, you know, it's a, I would say the plantings there are a lot more vibrant uh, than they have been in, in years past. And I would say the overall color scheme there is kind of reds and oranges, burgundies, pinks, and of course, uh, uh, greens. I had the privilege of growing the first uh, canna, Tropicana, when it was first introduced uh, to the trade by a gentleman from Australia, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's and, right. Yep, yep. And what a dramatic plant, especially in an area like Love Park that gets full sun. Uh, you and yep. I know the more sun these cannas get, the more crazy the flowering heads are. Yeah, that that's right. So, you know, at home and then also in these gardens, we grow a lot of cannas, bananas, elephant ears, all of those. Now, let's move down to Logan's Circle, which is, I, I mean, I, I think one of the most splendid places in all of Philadelphia. It has the Swan Memorial Fountain, in the center, uh, from there you have a direct dramatic view. You can turn back and look at City Hall. You can turn forward and see the art museum directly ahead of you. And I've noticed more improved plantings um, in the circle over the years. So what are we looking at there? Yeah, so you're, you're right. So pro probably a few years ago, we really made a conscious effort to uh, really kind of heighten uh, the plantings there and really to use that space for really two different kind of seasonal change outs. So in the spring, we have, uh, you know, a variety of bulbs where we plant, you know, up to 70,000 different bulbs. And then in, in the middle of May or early May is when we plant our, uh, our uh, tropical plants. So uh, and there's a different design each year, so we have two designers on staff, and each year the the goal is to have something vibrant and inviting, uh, but have it have it be different, have different plants as well. And because of the size of the circle, it really needs to have plants that that uh, are large and bold. So again, things like the bananas and cannas and elephant ears are uh, great for that because they, they, they have the size. A uh, couple interesting plants in that garden this year that I think really are good for their scale is um, kind of a, a mouthful, but it's called albomoschus. It's actually a, a hibiscus relative and it's one called uh, Chief Kubo's Pride. It has these big bold leaves that have kind of a smattering of kind of white and pink and green, uh, so that's a, that's a fun one. And then we have some amaranth. In I so am so is... I'm going to interrupt you because I love amaranth. I grow the heirloom variety. Ele uh, oh God, no, not elephant's ears, not elephant's trunk. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, I want to interrupt you because I love growing amaranth. I grow a um, an heirloom variety. And, you know, you talk about drama in the garden and something that 
stops people and they ask, what is that? And um, I just love it. And in the press release, uh, you uh, referred to the Logan Circle plantings as a wild and provocative urban jungle. And I can't think of a better jungle than one made of amaranth. Yeah, yeah, and it is. You know, it has these, you know, as you know, these tall stems, and then atop the the tall stems are these uh, kind of spray-like flowers that, in this case, red garnet is uh, kind of a burgundy red, and it flowers all summer long. And those are probably, you know, 10 feet tall. And then we have, I don't know if you've grown the, uh, the castor bean zanzibarensis. Yes. I've grown yeah. it at home fr- fr- from seed. In some years from seed, it'll get 18 feet tall. So it has big kind of palmate uh, leaves uh, that are kind of a shine- shiny green. And, you know, that's one plant that, again, the more heat and humidity you give it, uh, the bigger it gets. A lot of people are familiar with carmencita, which is a smaller red foliage one and when i was uh when i was working with the marketing team to come up with the plant list uh i threw in a couple of my own songs so the one i picked for this was uh guns and roses welcome to the jungle and i i I noticed you'll also (laughs) in in your in your ear have steppenwolf's born to be wild yeah yeah they i think they picked that one now, before we move on to stop number three, one of the things I want to mention is everything on this tour is something that people in not only the greater Philadelphia area, but all the mid-Atlantic states and really even further can grow in their own gardens. These are, yeah. you know, you're going to want to take uh, a notebook and write down variety names. Let's move on to the Rodan Museum, which is not about a giant Japanese flying monster, uh, but one of the greatest French sculptors of all time. And uh, that museum has been on the parkway uh, since long before I was a child. Yeah, yeah, it's an old museum. It's one of the most uh, visited cultural sites in all of Philadelphia, and as, as you just noted, it has both outdoor and indoor sculptures by Rodin. Uh, the gardens themselves are fairly formal, kind of French formal. So when you go in, there's a big uh, rectilinear pool, and then flanking that are, are rectilinear beds, and then outside of that are more kind of rectangular-shaped beds. So in there, we're really, the, the feeling is more you know, kind of tranquil, little ethereal, you know, more restful than kind of the exciting, kind of bold, provocative plantings from Logan and Love. So in there, we we have more repetitive masses of, uh, we have Ag- Agastache Ava, which has kind of soft pink flowers. We have a pink uh, spider flower, Cleome, which does, I know, reseed, but in there, uh, we just kind of let it come up serendipitously here and there. And then there's also a really nice, vibrant, uh, fall-blooming anemone, uh, Pamina, in there. And then uh, I think I picked the the psychedelic furs, Pretty and Pink. (laughs) Yeah. You're a rocker, man. 
<laughs> so now uh, we move on. Uh, and by the way, I want to mention, because I would love to see other uh, cities and horticultural communities um, take off from this idea. And having grown up in Philadelphia and spent my first 30 years there, we've only walked a few blocks between these stops. Right, yes. Yeah, we've, you've probably from Logan to Love, I mean, the spaces are different than kind of a, a city block, but probably to, to, from Love to Rodan is probably like six blocks. And along the way, you'll go past uh, just so people know where they are. They would go Love and then Logan, and then they would go past uh, the barns, and then just past the barns is, is is the Rodan Museum, and then kind of beyond that is Philadelphia Museum of Art, and then beyond that is the Azalea Garden, and that kind of. But we're not going up. up to the art museum. We're we're, not, we're no. making a right and going to Eastern State Penitentiary, where uh, many people think I uh, should belong, as opposed to being on the radio. But uh, this this is a long. Too. A long closed penitentiary uh, just in the Fairmount section of the city where all the museums are. And we're coming up on its, its big deal time because uh, at yeah. Halloween, they offer haunted tours of the penitentiary. But you're landscaping, and this really surprised me that you were landscaping the penitentiary. I'm, I'm saying, oh, please tell me nobody's going to jump out and try to scare you when you get to the <laughs> end of the tour. Uh, but your uh, your landscaping is all on the outside of this massive building. Yeah, so uh, that's right. There's a, there's a large wall that runs the length of the front facade of the Eastern State Penitentiary. And it varies in, in height, but towards the end, it's almost like 12 feet tall. And then as you get towards the front doors of the penitentiary, it's more like four feet tall. So it's essentially a, a large raised bed that goes the, the whole front, which is the width of an entire city block. And it's actually been a, a project of uh, PHSs for, for quite some time. Uh, there's a dedicated group of volunteers that specifically maintain the plantings there as well as, well as staff. And uh, it's um, uh, south facing, so it's kind of, you know, tough, hostile, urban conditions to begin with, as well as being full sun. So the plantings in there are a mixture of perennials, there's some roses. There's some shrubs. But my understanding is it's also heavily, um, heavy on pollinator-friendly plants, which, yeah. Yeah. which the yeah. city needs. Yes, yeah, I would say that's, uh, that's a goal uh, for all of our gardens is to have uh, plants in them that are not only urban tough but, but serve a, a myriad of different ecological functions. So whether it be good pollinator plants or, you know, seed for, for birds or habitat. You know, a lot of these, even the plantings at Logan and Love, they're not all tropicals. There's actually quite a few permanent shrubs and perennials. So that's kind of a, 
I would say a goal with all the landscapes is to have good pollinator plants, and especially up the Eastern State Penitentiary, there's a nice mix of, you know, cone flowers, which are great pollinator plants, but also good seed sources for birds. There's, um, uh, we have uh, some different sumacs. We have Roos uh, glabra, which is really good for for uh, food for birds in, in the fall. There's quite a few ornamental uh, grasses there and again well. this is an area where the housing is is tight there's a lot of restaurants um it's a very popular area to live uh but to have this urban refuge for wildlife is is a fabulous idea and i'm going to make a wild guess that as we finish up on our soundtrack we're listening to that you're the one who picked Jailhouse Rock. You got it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's almost Drew Andrew. Um, <laughs> anyway, as we finish the tour, um, it should take start to finish 45 minutes, and your people, like, Google that uh, for people with an average walking time. So that, um, and uh, I should also mention there's interstitial music while you're walking from place to place. So I, I highly recommend uh, that people in the city um, take this tour with the, with the soundtrack and people come into town you know, pick a museum. You know, we got like 600 of them within a couple of blocks <laughs> of this area. Plan to visit the art museum. Plan to visit the Academy of Natural Sciences or all the other places that are in that area and take the tour. And I'm sure they can find all the information they need at phs.org. Yeah, phsonline.org. Oh, Okay. PHSonline.org. I've been yeah. corrected yeah. for the first time in, what is it, 10 minutes? No. All right, Andrew, <laughs> we're out of time. Thank you for being with us today on You Bet Your Garden. Yeah, thanks. Yep. thanks so much for having me. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and explain why today's question of the week is about lawns, which many of you deem to be evil monocultures. Out where I live, the new saying is, we used to grow corn and wheat, now we grow warehouses. The loss of open land combined with the deadly effects of climate change has been disastrous, with floods reaching epic proportions. So go ahead, plant a meadow at your place. But when you see a lawn on somebody else's property, Think about how well it's regulating the flow of rainwater, producing oxygen, and providing a safe, soft place to play. But don't go dwelling on that thought just yet, because we'll be right back with those fascinating facts about fescue and your fabulous phone calls. I'm Prolawn Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. No matter how you feel about lawns, you definitely think they should be well cared for because the better you care for your lawn, the less need there is for chemicals, which in physical reality is zero. We'll explain all of this after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444, Kate, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Kate. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. Good. Uh, where are you? Where are you located? I'm in Denver, North Carolina. Wait a minute. Are you in Denver or are you in North Carolina? Make up your mind. I know. It's actually named after Denver, Colorado, but it's Denver, North Carolina. Boy, you didn't think they would run out of names that fast, do you? All right. Um, now, you sent us... Um, a, a truly weird picture. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, tell us about your experience here. So this is my first garden that I've ever done. And um, this was my second zucchini I went to go out and pick. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a very large zucchini. And I ripped it up from the yard. And I, I just saw those crazy little circle-looking things on them. I think that probably the answer is very tiny aliens were trying to make crop circles on your zucchini. That's exactly what I thought as well. See, that's it then. You know, just put up your, uh, make sure you wear a tinfoil hat and they won't bother you again. (laughs) It, it, It looks like, you know, it almost looks like ringworm something like that it's it's the weirdest thing i've ever seen so you're a first time gardener you know i am you know this is the the time to make mistakes because most people don't learn anything from success (laughs) but when you make a mistake you 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 get knowledge so um were you growing in raised beds or bare ground um, it was a raised bed, and it was on a hill. Right. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um, what did you fill your raised the, bed? What What did you use to fill the bed with? Um, so it was the bed was already here, and North Carolina, um, it's like red clay. Mm-hmm. So my husband tilled it for me, and then. We put some miracle grow down. Okay. Two mistakes. So you, Really? Yeah, yeah, you're already learning. Um, you know, red clay, you know, so you're not near coastal. 
North Carolina because then you'd be blessed with sand. Right. Um, red clay is very difficult to improve. Tilling, especially if you're not really cautious about the soil being bone dry, tilling can make clay worse. And it also uncovers weed seeds that have been laying dormant in that bed, exposes them to sunlight, the trigger for germination. And then what happens? Well, you cover them with soil. And then you fed them, you know, so if you had weed problems, congratulations, you at least showed that you could grow some kinds of plants. Right. I definitely grew weeds. Yeah. Yeah. So no more tilling. That's that's at this point in time, that's become so old school. Everybody accepts the no till method. Now, if, if the soil really, truly sucks. Uh, There's nothing wrong with taking a shovel and, you know, getting rid of, say, the top inch or two. Um, But don't mix it up with a tiller or anything like that. And then then substitute real good, high-quality compost, which hopefully you can buy locally um, if you don't make it yourself. And... As you progress as a gardener, you probably will start to make your own uh, compost. But cover the bed with two inches of fresh compost. Believe it or not, without tilling, it will improve the soil underneath. Every year, okay. every year, add an inch of compost. No more miracle grow. Um, okay. Compost contains all the food. The plants need, um, but not in this steroid-like form that can cause them to suffer deformities. Plus, okay, the secret to zucchini is as soon as you see it, pick it. You know, zucchini is one of those wonderful f- fruits, vegetables, um, that is edible at any stage. You know, like string beans. Okay. Once they get to even a very small size, they're totally edible. And the smaller the size, the more the nutrients are concentrated. So okay. you never want to let zucchini get big. There's no advantage to that. And the more you pick while they're small, the more zucchini you'll get. Because if once they get to a certain size, the plant slows down. It's it has produced okay. it has produced viable seeds in yeah i only got two zucchinis yeah whereby and, and so that's why the, the even the one with the circles i mean i checked to see if there was any bugs in it everything seemed fine so i mean i ate it and i didn't good. die so i'm assuming it's okay good good um so uh, once you peeled off the skin they were just surface marks yes Okay. All right. You did the right thing there. Um, But you're going to find that, you know, first of all, just be aware, it takes a while for zucchini to produce female flowers. And you'll be able to tell the difference if you look at the base of a flower uh, and there's a little round part underneath. That's a female flower that's going to produce a fruit. Um, If there's nothing else there, it's a male flower but that's needed for pollination. 
So okay. be patient until you get your first run of zucchini and then pick them every day. Don't let them get okay. too big. And I think you're going to do fine. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So do you think that those marks are from poor soil then? Or do you think it's from a bug? Um, I don't think it's from a bug. I think okay. uh, it could have been caused by the chemical fertilizer. It could have okay. been caused by an extended dry heat wave over the summer. Um, okay. Or again, really tiny aliens. Okay, right. Either way. Okay. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You take care and um, let us know how it goes next year. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As promised, as always, it is time for the question of the week, which I'm calling Dig That Crazy Mixed Up Lawn. Back in late August, Keith in Gilbertsville, PA, which is in northwestern Montgomery County, not that far from my garden as the crow flies, wrote, I'm preparing to spruce up my lawn, and I have a question regarding mixing the types of grass. My lawn is currently fescue that gets half a day of sun and half a day of shade as the front of the house faces east and the back faces west. The majority of the front lawn gets a.m. sun, and the back gets p.m. sun. I have a couple of bare spots I want to address this fall, and I plan on running a plug aerator over the entire lawn, roughing up the bare spots and then overseeding and spreading topsoil. I'm wondering if it would be okay to overseed with a bluegrass that will spread via rhizomes as opposed to fescue, which, as you know, does not spread to fill in its own bare spots. Thanks. You used a previous question of mine on the show. Your advice worked like a charm and remedied the issue. Well, thank you for the positive report, Keith. We love hearing back when our advice works, as opposed to all the other emails. Anyway, I realize that the perfect time frame for working on cool season lawns is running out, but your soil should still be warm enough to germinate new seed fairly rapidly. And yes, dear listeners, while I did try and avoid electronics, other than my pinball machines, over our summer hiatus, I did scroll through and briefly answer a few emails here and there, Keith's being one of them. My response simply said, fescue. It may mean a bit of extra work every other fall, but it's your best choice. And now I get a chance to explain why. But first, of course, a diversion. Keith mentioned that he planned on performing a core aeration before doing any seeding. And I wanted to take a moment to highly recommend this. A core aerator is a machine that pulls plugs of soil and grass out of your lawn and makes your arms shake for days afterwards. You can rent one, but be aware that they are big and heavy. It's not the kind of thing you can throw in the trunk of your car. Any reputable lawn care service will be happy to come out and do the job for you. Hint, hint. Yeah, it sounds counterintuitive to pull plugs. 
But the second biggest human cause of lawn death is soil compaction, especially if you use a large riding mower. Big machines and heavy feet compress the soil over time, making it difficult for air and water to reach the roots of your turf. The best solution is to pull out plugs, thus reducing the overall density of the soil. And yeah, the plugs must be pulled. Years ago, we gardeners were offered the option of the sandals of death. These were sandals with long nails attached to the bottom. Walk on your lawn wearing them, it was touted, and the nails would make holes in the turf, which they did. But with no material being removed, the holes just filled back up with no reduction in soil density. An interesting digression. Researchers testing the sandals discovered that you could kill huge numbers of grubs and baby Japanese beetles if you walked on your lawn wearing them at beetle emergence time in your region. And that's information your local extension office will gleefully provide. Yeah, just saying. Oh, and if you were wondering, poor watering practices are the number one human cause of all plant death. But that, children, is a story for another day. Timing is important here. Cool season lawns like fescue and bluegrass should only be aerated in the fall ideally September through October. Aerating in the spring would weaken the grass right before the hot summer weather hits. Same reason for the timing of seeding and overseeding. In the fall, the soil still retains a good amount of that summer heat, which makes for speedy germination. The cool season grasses that emerge then love growing as the nights get cooler. Spring sowing is a waste of time, seed, and money in most regions as the soil retains the winter cold and the seed can't readily germinate. The opposite of true is false. You knew that already. <clears throat> the opposite is true of the warm season grasses grown in warmer regions. Aerate and install them in the spring and leave them alone in the fall. Don't try this at home, kids. I'm a professional. Back to Keith. Remember Keith? My impression is that he started with a named variety of fescue or a named blend of various fescues that look similar to each other. It would be really difficult to ballpark guess a bluegrass that would match the existing fescue but it would be really easy to pick a variety with a distinctively different color and blade shape, leaving you with a crazy quilt lawn. That's why I always advise starting a new lawn with a named variety so that you can match the seed in the future. And fescue is the better choice for cool season lawns. That's why I always advise starting a new lawn with a named variety so that you can match the seed in the future. And fescue is the better choice for a cool season lawn. It requires less food and water and holds up better under foot traffic than bluegrass. Just plan to reseed any bare spots in September and then spread an inch of finished compost over the entire lawn to give it a natural feeding. 
And then you'll have a great-looking kid and pet-friendly turf. Well, that sure was an interesting look at the right way to care for a cool season lawn now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read the details over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to fuss with my fescue if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime, 888-492-9444, or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YB. YG at WLVT.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of previous shows, informative details about my upcoming live events, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is an hour-long public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by the songwriting team of Lerner and Lowe. Ken Quitter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of pretty pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Radke. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. And our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Zach the Tack Wisniewski is in the house, as is our magnificent mallard, Ducky the Dancing Duck. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, reminding you to leave your clippings on the lawn and keep it free of chemicals, and then I'll see you again next week.